from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you from these United States of America. I'm over here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can find us at mchs.edu. Bud is out there in Pittsburgh land. Bud, tell the good folks what you do in the land of French fries. <laughs> I'm the director at the National Institute for Newman Studies. So if folks want to know more about the life and legacy of St. John Henry Newman, uh, they can go to newmanstudies.org. Uh, it's good to be with you on this Wednesday, folks. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you're on social media at all, I know that you've seen uh, the memes and the jokes about 2020 always having a new bag of tricks. I want to remind all of you that June, uh, when you write it out numerically, the number is six, meaning it's been six months into one of the wackiest years I think most of us could imagine. So we're halfway through the year. Um, And on a more serious note, uh, of course, what's been going on in our nation the last few days um, bears a, a lot of prayers, a lot of discussion, a lot of serious meditation. Um, in radio world, uh, it's hard to sort of book guests that can immediately um, talk about uh, the climate, the scenarios, the things that are going on. And we don't, uh, it's an uncommon good, we in no way want to ignore or, or not talk about uh, the issues that are kind of on everyone's mind. Um, we can guarantee that we're lining up guests uh, next week to talk about this specifically about, uh, you know, the, the police, race, riots, civil unrest. Um, today we have planned uh, having someone back, uh, Matthew Umbarger, who's one of our all stars over at uh, here at the Uncommon Good. And he's going to be finishing up what we were talking about with the Old Testament and allegory. I actually think spiritually this has a lot to do Um, with what we need to be prepared to do for the long, hard work ahead that any society has dealing with ramifications that we've been going through. Like, we need to turn to prayer. We need to turn to the Bible. We need to think about how we need to read and learn um, from the difficult passages of the Bible. So our prayers are with everybody. And, uh, you know, I hope everybody's as safe and doing as well as possible. Um, Thank you for joining the show, and we're hoping that it can give uh, some levity uh, for today's times, but I know that I uh, talked a lot out of the uh, out of the get go here. But I hope everybody's doing well with your family, and uh, yeah, I hope prayers and everything for uh, everything that's going on. Yeah, that's right. I, I like what you said there, Bo. About with the show, we've we, we've never tried to turn a blind eye to you know the the most current of events and to bring. Uh, our faith and what it has to say to bear on those events. But you're right. I think this worked out well among our friends. I think Matthew has, um, he's up there on the list in terms of knowledge of the old Testament. And uh, Rachel and I were talking a couple nights ago and, you know, the Bible, sometimes we sort of refract it through a completely individualistic lens, but especially the old Testament, um, it really gets into what it means to be a part of the people of God. And, you know, God's, mission and his relationship to us 
is never purely as individuals. So there's so much there in scripture about our relationship to the land, uh, the call to, to do justice and to seek mercy. And I think Matthew is going to bring a lot of wisdom that even if it's not, you know, directly speaking to what was on the news last night, it, it's going to have a lot to say about how we live faithfully in a world, you know, unfortunately torn by sin and strife. No, I absolutely agree. So we're glad to have Matthew back uh, uh, to talk about these things. Before we uh, get started with, of course, the meat of the show, it's important to say that we're very appreciative of the people that make uh, the uncommon good possible. And of course, we are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Sciences, nchs.edu, where they started off, I think, the highest number of students they ever had in the summer semester, bud. So um, with everything that's going on, it's very heartening to know that uh, the, the call people have felt to join in uh, to the medical field, both for the nursing programs, allied health programs, in order to go be helpful to people. Uh, that, that this is going strong, even in the case of people, you know, uh, trying to be clear-eyed, figure out exactly what to do, opening up versus online versus all of those things. And so we're appreciative of all the students who have signed up to do that. And uh, we're still getting people for uh, the, the fall semester. So mchs.edu in order to uh, prepare uh, or even get started and enrolled uh, taking classes at Mercy College. Yeah, one thing that we've said on the show, but certainly in the classroom, Bo, is that you know we so desperately need uh, medical professionals who think about the human person, not simply as you as you put it, as a bag of blood and bones, but see the whole person, see the person uh, in their relationship to the common good and to the divine. And I think, uh, you know, Mercy's at the forefront there in Iowa in terms of trying to prepare uh, uh, professionals who will be compassionate and, um, you know, have the right kind of formation and do that kind of work. No, I think that that's exactly right. And just even um, being reflective about some of the, the college senate meetings that we've had yesterday, the, the, the things that we've had meetings where people are trying to figure out what's the best way that we can be there for students, both with COVID, both with what we're dealing with as a nation. Um, how is it that we reimagine not only what we're here for the students for, but also our students when they're graduates, how they can be um, exactly that sort of nexus point for healing in the community and that healing is goes much beyond, more beyond the medical field, but also souls and people and families and communities. It's work uh, that I'm definitively proud to be associated with. Um, like we said, folks, today we're going to have uh, Matthew Umbarger back on. Uh, it, it's sort of nice to figure, uh, I, I, I thought of the, this episode in the last two as a bit of a trilogy. We had Matthew, come on and talk about difficulties in the Old Testament. Um, Katie Patricio, we had like our resident Bible scholars essentially on. Uh, and, you know, she came on to talk about Pentecost. Now we're going to talk about allegory, which in some ways uh, is a fusing of both. So this is the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, stick around, and we'll be back with Matthew Umbarker right after this. Folks, if you want to leave messages for the Uncommon Good, it's easy to do so. Just use the zip with mine. 515-223-1150. That's 515-223-1150. The zip line. Hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. You can leave us a comment on the air or you can leave a question for us to read later and the old office will uh, get that back to us and let us know what's going on. Thoughts and prayers and any sort of discussion that you would like. We're all up for the uncommon good. Zip with love.
This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO, and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. There are millions of children that go hungry every day. Thank you to Skeffington's Formalware for supporting Mary's Meals. Their vision is that every child in the world should be able to receive at least one good meal every day in a place of education. Mary'sMealsUSA.org Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com Thank you, Ashworth Vision Clinic, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365 on Iowa Catholic Radio. Ashworth Vision Clinic online at ashworthvision.com. Ashworth Vision Clinic, 515-440-4610. Everything we have is a gift from God, and in return, He expects us to be good stewards of what we have received. Through a grant from the Iowa Division of Insurance, Financial Literacy is an unbiased financial education program that is engaging, empowering, motivating, and available for free. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Bonner joining you this Wednesday. Wonderful to be here with you, friends. Thank you for listening to the show. Up on the show today, we have back not only a, an all-star of The Uncommon Good, who comes on the show uh, quite a bit. He's actually coming back after only recently being on because we had a two-part series that Pentecost we allowed to like give some breathing room. Dr. Matthew Umbarger, who is a professor at uh, Newman University in Wichita, uh, assistant professor of scripture. Matthew, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk with you again, Bud and Bo. And I'm going to say, if, if you're going to insist on calling me an all-star, I think you're going to have to say it in Hebrew. So it goes like oh, yeah. that, okay? All, what's all-star in Hebrew? Okay. The, the pronunciation is very important. It goes, all-star. Okay? Uh, <laughs> all-star. <laughs> I will forget by the end of the show, but I will try to do better with that one. <laughs> I'm so, not an all-star. You... I'm an all-star. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, maybe now I'll remember it. Uh, so last, last time we had you on the show, uh, we brought up the thorny topic of moral problems in the Old Testament. Um, the longer that 2020 goes on and the more, frankly, sort of intense, crazy stuff happens, the more prescient it seems to try to deal with this idea of like yeah. difficulties, uh, not only interpreting scripture, but in the world. And uh, we start to maybe see why God had a plan about using very broken people uh, in a sort yeah. of uh, way to make his reality and his teaching um, 
manifest. So last time, yeah. just to briefly summarize, that's kind of what we were getting at as we talked about specific moral difficulties in the Old Testament and about uh, how to wrestle with them. You know, like the, we don't want to like brush them off. We want to be honest about like how difficult they might be. Uh, we talked about yeah. progressive revelation, not in the sort of political sense, but that God, it's a pedagogical one. God is bringing people um, from a certain place and seeing them all the way through. And we got to the end and we said, you know, one of the ways that uh, the church has actually always dealt with difficult passages is through allegory. And it's really important to talk about that because it's easy to have a very uh, shallow understanding of allegory, which makes it seem like yeah. we're just sort of brushing aside and excusing difficulties of the Old Testament. So we wanted to have right. you back as soon as possible to talk about what we mean about allegorical interpretation of the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Um, but like we did sort of last time, Matthew, if you don't mind starting out, what are the sort of reasons that people get... Uh, uh, dicey or a little nervous, as it were, when people start talking about allegorical interpretations of scripture. Sure, sure. First of all, can I go back to the, what you started off with? Because I thought that was very sure. profound. That um, you know, it's it's easy. We we kind of get up on our uh, moral high horse when we read the Bible sometimes, and we think like, man, those people are barbarians. And um, you know, you you read the headlines today and. Um, we're not that far from the Book of Judges, y'all. So, right. Um, I, I think that was that's a good point um, that you made there. Um, the, the problems with allegory. So, um, well, first of all, let's just uh, go over what allegory is. Um, so, the medieval church um, developed a fourfold reading of scripture. Um, it actually is rooted in Judaism. Uh, the rabbis, they have a 13-fold approach. I won't go into that. It's way too complicated. But um, they kind of boiled it down to four. So you have the literal reading of the text, and then you have the three spiritual senses of the, of the scriptures, uh, which are allegory, uh, the moral sense, the tropological is the Greek word, but moral sense, and then the one that I always have trouble with is the anagogical sense, um, the heavenward sense. Literally, it means to lead you upward. Um, but we're really going to focus on allegory today. Um, I think it's important to recognize that this was the normal way of reading Scripture um, from, I would say, even before the time of Christ, clear up through... Uh, the Reformation, and then as a result of the Reformation and the Counter-Reformation and the way both sides of that debate were reading the Scriptures and using the Scriptures, um, not so much... Uh, our approach to the Bible changed, because um, before the Reformation, um, when the Church opened the Word of God, they opened it to hear God's voice speaking to us today. And... Um, when the Reformation began, the Bible be became a collection of proof texts to win debates. And that's a very different sort of book. And so the interests were different, and the, the attention got shifted to the literal sense. And um, sometimes I'll hear people say, well, the literal, you know, Thomas Aquinas himself says that the literal sense is the primary sense. 
Um, but what he means is that the literal sense is the jumping-off place. He doesn't mean it's the most important sense of the Scriptures. It's where you start. You have to have that down first. But what the Church was always interested in was what was the Holy Spirit conveying in the spiritual senses. And we kind of got blocked off from that after the Reformation. And um, today, uh, if you look up in an encyclopedia, you'll see things that will say things uh, along this line, that obviously the allegorical interpretation was not interested in what the original authors meant which is simply not true. I mean, that's just a, a complete misunderstanding. That, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica says something along those lines. Or um, sometimes what, what I heard uh, in Bible college, um, where we were only interested ostensibly in the literal sense, was that the allegorical sense was so open to whatever personal interpretations you had that you, you would just kind of foist onto the text. You would do basically they they portrayed it as eisegesis, as reading into the text what you want to find there, rather than drawing out from the text what uh, the Holy Spirit had already put there. And obviously, we don't want to do that. But um, I today am fully convinced that that was not what the church was doing with allegory. They were never reading into the text. They were drawing out what the Holy Spirit had already planted within the text itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matthew, I got to say, you stole a bit of my thunder because I thought I was oh, no. going to give you this line and you were going to love it, but it sounds like you were a couple steps ahead of me because I, I pulled the Encyclopedia Britannica off the shelf and the opening line of the article is, allegorical interpretation places on biblical literature a meaning that with rare exceptions it was never intended to convey. <laughs> yes. And the, the, the first example that it gives is the Song of Songs, that the surface yes. sensuous meaning was gladly forgotten when its mutual endearments were understood to express <laughs> the communion between God and the soul. And I, I sort of just wanted to grab the encyclopedia by its shirt cuffs and shake it and be like, <laughs> you know, this is how they were interpreting the Bible from the very beginning. But to, Amen. I, to, to play devil's advocate or to like kind of, understand why some are are nervous about this kind of interpretation so what comes to mind for me is first corinthians 10 and and mm -hmm. uh saint paul is talking about israel wandering in the wilderness and he says yep. they were all baptized into moses in the cloud and in the sea they all ate the same spiritual food and drank from the spiritual rock and that rock was christ and i love that reading but there's a part of me that's like so so Paul did that, and that's amazing. But how do we do that without, you know, our modes of interpretation just going off the rails? Like, what's sort of, like, the safeguards or the boundaries that are around allegorical interpretation? Right. Yeah, that's exactly... Um, we, I remember having that debate with my professors in Bible college. They're like, well, Paul's doing it. Um, I'll, I'll go one better. Jesus does it um, with... <laughs> the sign that he gives the Pharisees. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Well, that's an allegorical interpretation of the book of Jonah, um, pure and simple. And so I can remember my professor saying, well, that's Jesus. 
that's St. Paul. He's an apostle. He's still writing the Bible, so he, he could do it. But for us, it's off limits. That, that was the uh, problem that they posed. Um, so that, that's something, I, I think that has to do with more of the Protestant sensibility that the Holy Spirit gives us the Bible, and then he's off the scene. And so um, the Church Fathers and the Catholic Church since has always understood that the Holy Spirit doesn't stop speaking. Um, he does give us the Bible through the Apostles, so general revelation is concluded. But, um, you know, as our St. John Henry Newman says, that, that, that doctrine that is deposited in the apostolic faith has to be unpacked through the centuries, and the way that that happens is the Holy Spirit guiding the Church in its interpretation, and one of the ways that the Church interprets Scripture is with allegory. Um, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but I I would say, for me, what the the help that I've gotten in all of this, even in my personal interpretation, um, when I do Lexia Divina, I find I do allegorical interpretation all the time, and I would never put that up on the same you know level as what you find in the Church Fathers, of course. But uh, for me, the guiding principle is: is this directed towards Jesus, or is it directed to my own you know personal narcissistic reading of the scriptures? Um, if it's directed towards Jesus, if it's helping me understand who Jesus is, and why he came, then it's probably, it's probably legitimate. And, and then it has to be a tight, close reading of the text. Um, you can't just, you know, play fast and loose with the symbols and give them arbitrary meanings. That has to be you know, somehow um, reflected, a reflection of what's in the text itself. Um, all the pieces are there, and they just beg. Um, you, the last time I was on your show, Bud, you mentioned uh, Genesis 22. And there's a mm-hmm. perfect example, because you have Isaac going up Mount Moriah with his father, and he is carrying on his shoulders the wood for the sacrifice. And, of course, he is the sacrifice. And so when you read that with the lenses of the Gospel, it just begs to be interpreted Christologically. It just you, you have to see Jesus in Isaac, um, and, and you see, wow, the Holy Spirit intended this. Um, and, and that's why, you get, even at the end of it, you get that weird, it's almost like the, the authors don't really understand what's going on, because they say, um, that's why they say to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, what is it? And when is it going to be provided? Um, <laughs> it's pointing beyond, the story already is pointing beyond itself, to some further meaning. And I think you can do that with um, virtually all of the texts of the Old Testament and, and even many of the New. Well, I know Bo has another question, but if I could add real quick from my from my own experience, and this is slightly different, but I think it's related. I mean, wouldn't you guys both say that Scripture, as it's meant to be understood um, in terms of divine revelation, it has to be read in the context of worship. Uh, and Amen. what comes to mind for me is, you know, the... Emmaus Road, Emmaus Road experience where our Lord gives these two disciples after his death. He walks them through scripture 
to show that uh, the crucifixion was part of the mission of the Son of Man. And as he's yeah. giving them this Bible lesson that I wish we all could have sat in on, they don't recognize him who, for who he is. It's not until they sit down for dinner and the breaking of bread that they recognize their risen Lord. And I, I can testify to that in my own life because I, I come, I come across passages like John six and read, you know, Jesus says, I am the mm-hmm. bread of life come down from heaven. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And that, you know, uh, those who eat of it will have eternal life. And I think to myself, like, how did I interpret passages like that as an evangelical Protestant? But it wasn't for lack of knowledge. Like I, I had read those verses and I had memorized large portions of scripture, but it wasn't until I encountered Christ in the breaking of bread that the full meaning of passages like that one came to life for me. Amen. But if I can make a sort of, uh, you know, uh, try a stab at sort of rabbinic type interpretation, I think the Emmaus Road event shows us that God intended um, allegorical reading to go on and on because if Mm. the point was, if the point was what Jesus said that day, we would have had it reported. But the fact that the scripture is silent mm. about what Jesus said, to me, proves that the scripture is saying, this will always happen in the church. We will always be walking down the road with Jesus, having the scripture open to us. And then the moment of realization about where Jesus is in the scripture will be uh, culminated in worship. If the point was the sort of content and the information the Bible would have included it. The Bible's rife with sermons that we needed to hear from Christ. But I love the fact that one of the first resurrection appearances is a demonstration that Jesus will walk us through the scripture, culminate his presence of himself in the scripture through worship. But the content was not provided because the content is always being provided. Amen. Oh, yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah, everything that both of you said. I, I, it, it has to be in the context of the church, and, and that means liturgy, absolutely. So I, I think part of the reason that um, we became uncomfortable with allegory is because we were no longer a liturgically functioning, integral church. Um, so we weren't when the Bible became subject to private interpretation, then that, that does make allegory absolutely dangerous and even fatal. I mean, that's how cults get started, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, when we listen to the voice of Christ speaking to us through the church, and, and especially in a liturgical setting, then um, that opens... And then, like, Lexio Divina, I mentioned earlier, is such a popular practice among Catholics today, but even that has to be rooted in the liturgical life of the Church. It can't be, and, and that's one of the things that bothers me sometimes, is I see it presented almost as like a supplement, mm-hmm. um, but, it, but it really should be um, a part of um, living out the liturgy throughout the, throughout the day, throughout the week. Um, it should be unpacking it, Yeah. I mean, well, I think if I can go on that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I, I was really happy that Bud mentioned um, the road to Emmaus. Um, actually, Origen, uh, in his homily on uh, his, his homilies on Joshua, chapter nine, verse eight, he sees that as actually um, 
typologically reflected in the story of Joshua. So Joshua and Jesus have the same name in Greek, uh, so this works really well for Origen. And um, if you remember, there are a couple points in the book of Joshua where Joshua, uh, who has received the law from Moses, now gives it to Israel that they're, as they're in the Promised Land, um, and, and he, he um, tells them, you know, at, especially at the end of the book of Joshua, he says, you know, um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, you, you all do what you're going to do. And, and he gives them the law. And Origen says um, that this is actually a picture of what Jesus is doing on Emmaus. And then he says, Jesus it is who reads the law when he reveals the secrets of the law. He's talking about allegorical interpretation. We who belong to the Catholic Church do not reject the law of Moses, but we receive it if and when it is Jesus who reads it to us. There's mm. the key. Uh, Jesus has to be the one who is reading it to us. For it is only if Jesus reads the law in such wise that through his reading we grasp its, its spiritual significance that we correctly understand the law. Do not think they have grasped the meaning who could say, was not our heart burning within us when he opened to us the scriptures and beginning at Moses and the prophets and expounding them all showed them that they wrote of him. Um, so he, Origen, he, he says exactly what Bud was saying and, and what you've been saying, Bo, is that uh, what you have going on there is Jesus is really saying to the church, the Old Testament is still your book. Now that we're in the New Covenant, it doesn't mean that you discard that. Now you're going to go back and you're going to read it with new sight, um, and, and you're actually going to keep the, the Torah um, relevant, because otherwise uh, it really just becomes a dead letter, because it, it, it doesn't have that obvious connection to our day-to-day life. And, and, um, and we don't want to say, oh, God's Word is done now. Um, that, that would almost be blasphemous. Um, as Isaiah says, you know, God's Word will not return to him empty, and it's still not going to return it to him empty. And part of the way it functions is through these allegorical uh, readings. No, Matthew, that's uh, fantastic. We're up on the break, so when we get back, we'll continue this wonderful talk about allegorical interpretation in the Old Testament with the entire Scripture. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We'll be back right after this. Folks, if you want to keep up with what's going on with Iowa Catholic Radio and the Des Moines Diocese, it's easy to do. We just encourage you to go interface with our internet presence, which is an extremely dorky way to say, follow us on all our social media. You can do that by going to Facebook, looking up Iowa Catholic Radio and friending us. You can go to Twitter, at IA Catholic Radio, and you will be able to follow us and keep track of all the tweets that we have. The essential one, of course, is the website, iowacatholicradio.com, where you can listen live uh, wherever you have a connection to the internet, donate, see what we're up to, get emails, everything like that. And finally, if you download the Iowa Catholic Radio app, you can do all of that as well from the convenience of your phone, wherever you have data transmission. This is The Uncommon Good. Bob Honor, Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday, and we'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, 
you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Need an experienced attorney for legal matters? I know a guy. Stephen C. Reed, attorney at law, is a proud supporter of Iowa Catholic Radio. Steve is a longtime resident of Iowa and is licensed to practice in all Iowa state and federal courts. He has years of experience in real estate law, wills, conservatorships, trusts, and estate planning. Steve's law office phone number is 515-224-1776. That's 515-224-1776. Thank you to Mercy One for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. From the cardiovascular experts at the Iowa Heart Center to the pediatric services of Mercy Children's Hospital and Clinics. Mercy provides complete care for Central Iowa's adults and children with more than 50 primary care and specialty clinics in the Des Moines area. Find a convenient Mercy One location near you. Online at mercydesmoines.org. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Should be fair through the afternoon, but warm will be in the upper 80s. Clouds move in tonight with our low in the upper 60s, and then we'll start off cloudy tomorrow, turning sunny in the afternoon and close to 90. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Thank you for listening to the show. We have back on air the uh, star. I don't remember how you told me to do this, Matthew, but uh, I, I tried. Uh, Dr. Matthew Umbarger, assistant professor at Newman University. Matthew, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you. And I can't express just how much fun it is to do this with you guys. No, um, no, well, on air, uh, we, I'm, we start... I'm having insights. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> now, we'll charge you for that one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, uh, so... <laughs> Um, we, we've been talking about allegory, especially in light of the last time you were on where we talked about difficult moral passages in the Old Testament and how allegory is not a way to get out of difficulties, nor is it a way to eisegete, like put your own readings in. But it's really, as you said, uh, quoting Origen, Jesus reading scripture to us and sort of uh, the Emmaus Road event as the sort of archetype of what we realize reading uh, allegorical means to hear Jesus tell us where he is throughout all of his scripture. Um, and Matthew, yeah. you've brought up uh, Lexia Divina um, earlier, and, and it's like you said, it's starting to be pick up a little bit of popularity as if uh, kind of like a nice thing that people can do or something like that mm-hmm. uh, on their own. But it's really important to remember, of course, that Lexia Divina, the sort of art of prayerfully reading the Bible, comes from the Benedictine monks and, of course, monks in general where the rest of the day they're spending eight hours praying scripture and not yeah. interpreting it. So uh, the, the idea, of course, is like if you've prayed scripture, like in the liturgical sense, for a third of your day, when you do come to read it, of course, um, it's, it's like, I guess that we're all saying is like you do hear Jesus's voice reading it to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not a matter of coming to the scripture and finding what you want. In fact, I would say 
that's the last thing that really happens in the Vina when you're doing yep. it well is finding what you want. You usually find what you don't want. That's right. Um, Amen. And even when it even when it comes to allegorical readings of difficult passages, um, I think we're like like you said at the top of the show. We want to act like we're less barbarian than we are, and that sometimes actually the spiritualized version of the, the the allegorical reading is actually more difficult to pull off. One of the classic ones I always like to point out, multiple people do this, but I know St. Benedict does this because he talks about it in his rule. Um, so there's the famous psalm that says, like, oh, if we could only dash uh, the brains of their babies against mm-hmm. the wall, which is, in everybody's mind, hardcore and beyond <laughs> heavy metal in a dark sense. Right. This expression (laughs) of just like the Israelite people expressing rage and just despondent sadness after being displaced from Jerusalem and imagining revenge that they could enact. And so, you know, people really scoff at this and like, oh, how could this be expressed? And beyond the fact of you go, the Psalms are sort of like crying out to God. So, of course, the Psalms are sometimes more about the honesty of the feeling rather than any sort of direction. It's not like the Psalms are like a a VCR manual about how to live a good life. But when you get down to it, what St. Benedict says is clearly what's going on here is that the children allegorically are the seeds of sin in your life, like lustful thoughts, temptations, whatever it is. And when you bash them against the rock, that is the rock that is Christ. And so what this, the spiritual meaning of this Psalm is to say that the beginning any sort of lustful or temptation to sin, we must dash those temptations against the rocks that is Christ. And it's, if you read that one way, you're like, oh, well, Benedict is just trying to get out of like a difficult scripture. But if you read where he says that, he's not even bringing up the difficult scripture at all. That's right. He's bringing this up in the sort of, he's talking about the absolute difficulty of living a good life. And his point is to say that at the beginning of a temptation, if you don't turn to Christ and do something about it, that temptation will grow and you'll lose to it. And actually yep. doing the spiritual temptation, quote unquote, would be easier than if you followed what the text actually said, which, of course, the psalm doesn't instruct anyone to do that. But, of course, right. revenge, Matthew, yep. is much easier than to dash the very beginnings of temptation <laughs> against the rock of Christ. That's actually the Precisely. harder move to learn to do that. And allegorical interpretations often give us more, a a larger weight as believers than just reading it strictly in the literal sense. I think they always do. (laughs) It's it's always, because the goal of it is always conversion. Um, Because you're hearing, it's putting you right in Jesus' presence, as Origen is saying. Jesus is reading the Bible to you, and he's interpreting it to you. And that's always going to be uncomfortable. Because um, you know Jesus is the most difficult person to get along with, because he always gets right. in our business. Um, yeah, so it has to. It, it and and if and if it's just like soothing your own narcissistic, um, you know, self interpretation, then it's not really allegorical. It's it's just um, you know pop psychology or something. Yeah. Well, in that, in that regard, okay. um, you, we talked about this before yeah. the show. The show that you were uh, that you think David and Goliath actually is a good mm-hmm. uh, story to start off with this because I think that's people have a very I don't want to say shallow in a mean way. I mean that they have an yeah. idea that like oh 
David and Goliath is this broad story of it being inspired that underdogs win. Um, but I thought you yep. had a great point to say that if we think about it allegorically, it, it gets um, it, 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 it pulls surprise punches on people. How's that? Yeah. So yeah, it's a perfect example. I, I just I was trying to think of a good way of doing showing how this can work even today. And this is the one that came to mind. So I did a little mini Lexio Divina with this last night. I haven't looked at what the Church Fathers um, say about this. I, this, is, this is all um, me, hopefully, listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and I did that on purpose just to show that this is not just something the Church Fathers do, or something that I, I should hope that our priests would be doing this and their homilies more. Um, but I think it's something that can happen even in our personal time. Of course, all of that has to be subjected to uh, the teachings of the magisterium and to, um, as we were talking about, the liturgy, Christ speaking to us in the liturgy. But um, this is a good example, and this it's such a good example because I'm, I think we've all heard sermons on this, and even though we don't do allegory, supposedly, Every one of the sermons that I've ever heard on David and Goliath are allegorical, and they're allegorical in the wrong way, um, because David is you, and what are the giants? In you? Have you ever heard a sermon like that? What are the giants oh, yeah. in your <laughs> life that God is calling you to slay, right? Um, no, no, yes. no. I mean, that, there's, there's the narcissism we're talking about, that, and, and we can only get there because we've stopped reading the Bible with the Church, um, the way the Church Fathers are reading it. And so looking at last night, um, I was saying, okay, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus in the text. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, well, there he is. David isn't me, of course. Um, David is Christ. Um, I mean, he is the, the forefather of Christ. And, and um, even uh, in several places in the prophets, they say, uh, for instance, um, Ezekiel says that David will come to rule over Israel. So David is almost a standpoint, a stand-in for Jesus already. So as I was reading the text, thinking about it, praying it, and stuff started to jump out to me. Um, so David comes, and no one else will, no one else can challenge the giant. Only David can. Um, he refuses to go against the giant with the traditional weapons. Um, you know, Saul tries to dress him in his armor give him his weapons to fight Goliath. And David says, this isn't going to work. And so he goes basically naked and vulnerable before the giant. And um, so this reminded me of how Jesus, of course, um, conquers um, the powers of this earth and, and sin and death. Uh, he doesn't, you know, everyone is expecting him to come as a conquering Messiah overthrow Rome, and instead he comes in vulnerable and naked, in a sense. I mean, he's literally stripped naked before the crucifixion. And then um, from the liturgy, um, we always hear that Christ defeated death with death. And this really jumped out at me at the end of the text, where after um, David strikes down Goliath with the stone, uh, he dispatches the giant. Uh, and it's kind of a a contradiction. He, he kills the giant with a stone, then he kills him again with Goliath's own sword. And I thought that was significant. So he takes Goliath's own sword and uh, kills him and then uh, lops off his head with his own sword. 
Um, so just as Jesus defeated death, uh, Satan's greatest weapon with death. Um, that's what, and, and that was just in really a very few minutes of try, of asking the Holy Spirit to show me things I hadn't seen before in this in this story. Yeah, Matthew, um, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Alexio Divina, with us. Uh, do you think, kind of like zooming back out again, yeah, you know the famous uh, quote from St. Augustine, where he said, so anyone who thinks he's understood the divine scriptures but cannot, by this understanding, build up the double love of God and neighbor has not succeeded in understanding them at all. Um, does, oh, that, yeah. does that tie into the kind of discussion we're having here? And the reason I ask that is, you know, I've, I've read some of the new atheists. And one thing that they'll say is like, uh, you already gave us the warning about being like looking down our noses too much at previous cultures. But like someone like Richard Dawkins will point out the carnage mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, you know, like pointing to the, the conquest narratives or commands about slavery or something. And if the rebuttal's given that like, no, you know, allegorical interpretation solves some of this, that I've, I've kind of heard them respond like, well, you know, there's this subset of sort of like ivory tower Christians who try to pull this sleight of hand. But I think to, you've already read a passage from Origen, I think to Origen and Augustine, and the very uh, most important, the most important early Christian writers were already recognizing that to use the scriptures as a kind of like weapon against those uh, who we happen not to like was to like, that was fundamentally just to misunderstand the nature of scripture. So, I mean, I, I love that, that what you just did with the David and Goliath story, but do other parts of the scripture come to mind as like uh, the allegorical is really an essential way to unfold what we should understand about this text. Yeah, but I have one right in front of me here. I was thinking about it as you were talking about this, because I was thinking Richard Dawkins, well, who's the Richard Dawkins of the second century? Um, and that's <laughs> Celsus. Um, so he was saying the same thing, that these Christians, um, their Bible is immoral. Uh, it's full of all of these horrid uh, text and he and he included things like Psalm 137, and um, and Origen's response was allegory, but it was a very different age back then. I, I think one of our mistakes before I get to the text from Origen here, uh, Contrastalsum, um, one of our mistakes is to think that somehow people like Celsus had us backed into a corner. And so allegory was an escape. I see this all over the literature, even Christian literature, that allegory was devised as a way of somehow recovering, rehabilitating the Old Testament, if you will. And that's not the case at all. I'm convinced that that's a misreading of what's going on, because that's how ancient people read texts back then. Um, Especially, uh, even Celsus, um, he's not... Christian, but he's a pagan, and so they had their own text that they would read very similarly. Uh, Matthew, would have, yeah, just uh, to interrupt yeah. real quick, I love this point because what I actually think people like Celsus are mad at is this is sort of, you know, the Roman, you know, top dog ivory tower, and I think a little yep. of what motivates this, but it's hard to see, is they're mad that Christians are taking what has become all the rage in interpreting Homer, for instance. I mean, it's like, yep. well, we would call right. straight up 
allegorizing text in order to save them. If if Richard Dawkins thinks we're bad at it, he should go read <laughs> like the schoolboy Romans just straight up making Homer say things he didn't because they were so worried about saving some of these old texts. So so I, I'm with you. Part of this is actually I think Celsus and people are like, oh, there's these hicks with this backwater religion and they're mm-hmm. using our method and it makes them mad. So sorry, keep going. Yep. It's a great point to make. Though. Exactly. No, I think you're exactly right. But even the Alexandrians who did this with Homer, I think even they, they can do that. Um, it, it makes itself a, a ready at hand tool to deal with difficult passages because they already see the text uh, as somehow more than human. Right. And so if this is a spiritual text, then obviously the Holy Spirit's saying something beyond just the literal sense. And so uh, the one I'm looking at right here, it's actually the first instance that I know of of interpreting Psalm 137. So St. Benedict is just borrowing this from probably someone else who's borrowed it from Origen. But before Origen goes there, he, um, he handles another text that Celsus had complained about, Psalm 101, verse 8, uh, where... Uh, it says, every morning will I destroy the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all workers of iniquity from the city of the Lord. So exactly what um, Bud is talking about, this idea that the Bible, oh, see, the Bible tells us to go out and destroy the wicked, you know, burn witches, whatever. And uh, what Origen says, if I must now explain how it is that the just man slays his enemies and prevails everywhere, it is to be observed that by the land, he means the flesh, <laughs> whose lusts are at enmity with God. And by the city of the Lord, he designates his own soul, in which was the temple of God, containing the true idea and conception of God, which makes it to be admired by all who look upon it. And, and so he, he does exactly what you've all been talking about. He, he turns it on ourselves. And, and thereby deflects the charge of the pagans and the unbelievers that somehow the Bible's encouraging us to do violence against them. Well, I think, Matthew, that it's important for people, like, to how this connects back to the show that you were on last time is, um, the world, if we believe what we say about original sin, is shot through with violence and rebellion against God. And this yeah. will be... Uh, the the, 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 the the children of the of God are not going to be um, pristine beforehand. Like uh, the, the clear yeah. story is that God goes and makes people holy. He doesn't find holy people to go be his chums, yep. right? Like he Amen. he is going to do this work. And so again, the sort of like using the reality of human turmoil, um, pedagogically bringing people along to better ways that have a fulfillment. Uh, in the future with Christ, with the, the perfection of the law, um, or even using, uh, the, you know, I, I, I think this is, I'm going to mess up who this is. Uh, it might be uh, Athanasius, but the story of Israel is the story of each individual soul. The idea that, mm, yeah. you know, all yeah. of these stories, uh, it's not like Inception where there's like a meaning inside of a meaning inside of a meaning. It's to say... <laughs> that it's like truly something like a, a, a flower in full bloom and that as Amen. rough and different as the acorn might look to the tree that it becomes, 
um, that, that this is what God is, is, is doing you know, this entire time. And Amen. I think this gets back, you know, we only have a few minutes left, but this gets back to something like talking about today, the difficulties that we see. If the Bible was just, um, you know, a, 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 a sort of uh, PG, maybe rated G book mm-hmm. that sort of gave nice stories and pointed out ways that people gently improve, um, we would look <laughs> out at the intractable problems of our day see the fact that, you know, there is actually mass slaughter, abortion happens, that there is actual slavery. I mean, that is, that is sexual trafficking that's going on, Uh, that there is rancid hatred and enmity between brothers. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about? um, with Everything that's going on uh, with with, uh, the civil unrest right now, if the Bible didn't have those difficult passages, not only to be realistic, but to show that even in events, something more is happening. And I think that that's, I mean, that's actually natural to a lot of American speech. You hear this in the people who are talking about um, Mm -hmm. what's going on in their communities, that they refuse to think that all there is is what's happening in their communities, but this is speaking to something even larger than events. And that my friends is allegory when it is deep and with the church and it's Christ reading scripture and events back to us and not simply a little unique way that we try to get out of Matthew, mm-hmm. we, we, we came up to the end of the show. I mean, you know, we, we could probably schedule a third one of these, but uh, we want you to <laughs> be able to have a summer break too. But it's wonderful okay. to have you on the show. And uh, we, we're so thankful that you came on and talked about uh, these important topics mm-hmm. with us uh, twice in, in three weeks. Yeah. Well, glory to God. It was a lot of fun. It went really fast. That, that it did. Uh, Matthew, Dr. Matthew Umbarger, uh, assistant professor at Newman University in Wichita, Kansas. God bless you, Matthew. Thanks for coming on the show. Bless you guys. Folks, this is the Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, our families, our city, our state, our nation, especially in those times. I mean those last ones very much. In our world, solar system, galaxy, the whole kitten caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. Folks, if you want to keep up with the prayer life of Iowa Catholic Radio, Bud is going to give you the real, uh, the real McCoy, as we used to say, <laughs> about when you can join us uh, with prayer on air. Yeah, I think especially during these times, please join us for prayer daily. Uh, we pray the rosary at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 9.30 p.m. And you can also anytime jump on the app and uh, access uh, recordings of the rosary. And then finally, join us as well for the Angelus Daily at 6 in the morning. And if you want to keep up with what is going on with Iowa Catholic Radio, especially this summer, when hopefully we keep opening up, uh, you can do that by uh, looking at the website, iowacatholicradio.com. There you can listen live. You can also donate. I can't stress enough that in these times, uh, the the difficulties that um, uh, nonprofits are going through, that we are sustained not only by your prayers, but also by your willingness to give. We appreciate everyone who's donated, uh, but we can only ask you again to consider um, helping us out. And you can do that by going on iowacatholicradio.com or the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or you can call 515-223-1150, call in and make your donation. A final quick word to say, uh, 
with everything that's going on, I think about what Abraham Lincoln actually, uh, one of his, I think, the Gettysburg Address, showing the sort of like deep way in which allegory um, informs the life of America, even when we don't have people who are like ministers. But that's what he tried to do when he like was asking, why did we have the Civil War? And he said, this must be God purifying us, punishing us, but purifying us uh, for slavery so that once we overcome this, we can actually become something different, that we can become uh, a lesson for the world about the better way to live fellow uh, men among fellow men. And he said this not flippantly. He said this is someone that the, the, the sheer amount of deaths that the war brought on uh, made him very conscious of. And folks, I can't tell you right now, I'm not Abraham Lincoln, much less, uh, you know, someone nearly half as important. But to say that in these times, God has something that he's doing. And I know that 2020 has made it seem difficult to believe that sometimes. But in all of it, murder hornets and all, something is going on where God is doing something new. Resurrection is always there right uh, at the seat of death. And that is what I think um, Easter and Pentecost teaches us. So God bless all of you, bud. Have a, a wonderful rest of the week, my friend. Thanks, Bo. You too. God bless, folks. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.